Kia welcome to New Zealand's Next Top Podcast, the official podcast of the Opportunities Party. You will hear from our candidates as they share our story and the vision that we have for the future of Aotearoa. We think the political status must go because we can't keep doing the same things we've been doing for the last four decades and expect a different outcome. That's the definition of insanity. And we are back for part two of talking about democracy. My name is Shine Vaughan and I'm here with Alex Corkin and Ben Wiley Van Eerd. Kia ora. Our conversation today is New Zealand's democracy, the state of it, and how we can make it better to work best for everyone in a way that really does respect the, the principles on what a democracy should be. One of the things that's become obvious to me, especially now that I've launched into this for the second time as a candidate, is that there's just, even aside from any concerns about the amount of money that a candidate has, the incumbents have got this massive advantage because they have been paid for three years to do a job, which is something very adjacent to going out and promoting themselves as a person and as a party and as a leader of the country. I've been paid to sit by myself in a lab doing science for three years and I haven't had much of an opportunity to get out (laughs) and go to public events and get my face and my principles out there in the same way. And Mm. that's a sort of another one which is hard to get around. I don't know if this is a crazy idea, but I've been thinking lately that it might be quite good if we had understudies to to parliament, people who were funded to do that same kind of job. They didn't have voting rights in the same way that an elected MP would, but they're waiting in the wings. They're getting the training. They're able to do those things because I can't do that in between elections. I can barely do it for a month when the election cycle comes around. And that strikes me as another sort of big incumbent advantage that, yeah, I don't know, would be good to work around. If you're getting paid today to go out and campaign, that is your job. But not like us, where we are all working and yes. parent duties or whatever other duties you've got on top, mm. and then to campaign and kind of the gaps of time that you've got. Of course, you're massively disadvantaged. And not only that, if you, not so much for me, I, there will be a, a current sitting MP who will be running, I'll be running against, but not really a, a name and not a, a member of cabinet. But in areas where they, you can't compete, they've been on the TV, they've been, they've become a mm. household name. Yep. because of their experience, because of what they've been doing with the previous three years. You just, you can't compete. You can't compete with that. I wonder, I'm, I'm not sure I'm quite aligned. If you replaced politics with any other job, right? So like Ben, if you said, okay, I'm currently doing ultrasound science right now and I want my next role to be some other sound-related science, um, that experience that you've had in ultrasound is going to be a massive step up and a massive benefit for that next job in the same way that Mm. if I wanted to get a different tech job, my proven results from my last tech job would be something that helps me. Why, Why should it be that politicians don't get the benefit of the record that they've built over those three years? How do you, like, I, I, how, I don't how think do you... that's quite what I'm saying. I'm, I think you're right that they should have that. It's just that there is no way in from the outside at the moment. If you're not sure. one of the elected MP decision makers, you don't have that and you can't really build that kind of CV for yourself very easily either, unless you go into a very specific kind of things. And that stops ideas from the outside from coming in, right? And that's the frustration that we're up against now. Right. So, so I guess what you're saying is how can we distribute the experience and distribute the the decision-making, muscle-building effort that politicians go through everywhere, every day, to yeah. people who 
haven't necessarily won an electorate seat or haven't necessarily contributed to politics before. Yeah, it's more so about I don't know making... if this works, but it, it has been an idea that crossed my <laughs> mind that you could, in the same way that the, that the public supports MPs to mm. do their job, we could support some, some I call, I'm calling them understudies for now, people yeah. who are building up those skills but have different jobs. Maybe they even have some speaking rights in Parliament, but they definitely don't vote because that's, that's the whole point. It's one way of broadening it a little bit, have, including yeah. more people. I think you'd have you'd struggle to convince people to pay for that. I think you would. Because I, I just think that's how you didn't I win. Think you're right. So why would I pay for you? And I think, like, I hear what you're saying. And obviously, we need to try and do something to skew back the balance to even it out somehow. Um, and I, I don't think there is a simple answer. I think funding is really the main way that we could make some changes to address some of those advantages. Like, for example, yeah. parliamentary services fund unlimited travel for MPs. And obviously, True. if we wanted to, as you know, a party outside of parliament travel, we'd just, we'd just pay for it ourselves, obviously. And they can pay for staff and research and they have, can pay for offices around the country. And, you know, all these just huge advantages and it just stacks up. They can pay for poll. Like, I don't know, there's just like a ton of stuff that they can pay, not polling. They can, but it just helps them. And that's what the public's paying for. And yeah, I just genuinely think the money thing is huge because if they didn't have that much of a financial advantage, or if we had a greater financial advantage as an outside party, you start to even it out. You start to even out the opportunities of how much time you can spend. Yeah. Because if I had money, I could maybe choose to spend more time campaigning because I'm getting paid for it. And I can afford, therefore, to do that. You know, right. just thinking of other ways to do it. But I think it's tackling the funding issues. And, top and currently, that, top, sorry, um, top currently have a policy that says if we do civil service, we get paid for that, right? Civil service is a thing that's valuable to New Zealand. And so civic if, service, yeah. Yes. If young people do that, there's a financial compensation for it. I wonder if you could expand a program like that? Because as you say, actually, if you're a politician who hasn't won a seat, why would we pay for you? If you make it specifically tied to an electoral cycle or specifically tied to party lines or electorates or anything like that, you can see why that argument wouldn't stack up, right? As you said, well, you lost, why would I pay for you? If you flip that on its head and said, we want to get young people involved in politics early, we want to teach them civic service, we want to teach them how MMP works, we want to teach them a whole bunch of stuff. What better way than to say, hey, one of our options for civic service, civil service is to go and work in parliament for a period of time, and we can cost that out, we can pay for it, maybe you only get a week, the five days. Do you think that would solve some of that problem? Because you, not necessarily for the sharp end of the stick of people trying to fight for a political seat, but more generally raising political opportunities, connections, friendships in parliament across the country. Maybe in terms of the back end, in terms of relationship building, but certainly not the front end of campaigning. I just mm. think nobody's going to know that you've done that week. Nobody's going to know your contribution or what you've learned yeah. or the skills or the benefit to you personally. Yeah. I think I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea, but I just don't think it's going to necessarily take us further in terms of mm. ultimately if you're an outside party trying to compete yeah. with these people. I just think... And I think it's a shame, right, because ultimately the system is so skewed to incumbents, like we're saying, and I guess what that has led to is just same old stuff from the same old people coming up with the same old ideas on repeat, 
because new ideas just aren't getting in there and people are just so hungry for new ideas and just mm. want to hear fresh yep. thoughts and a fresh perspective. And so the system just doesn't allow that. And I think we know it's a system thing because since MMP was brought in, no new party has entered parliament that didn't start from a previous sitting MP. What if yeah. every MP had term limits? Three terms for every MP. Every nine years, you have a full cohort cycling out. That gets rid of the incumbent advantage. That gets rid of the staleness because you've got to have fresh faces coming in. And it helps people build the muscle because you've got to be constantly refreshing your cabinet, refreshing your list uh, because you've got a hard term limit. I don't know. I don't, I, think, I don't think there can be many sitting MPs who have been around for that long. I think Ooh, you'll, I you'll think have a few, a few people. National. They'll have a few people who have lasted that long, but I think the majority of MPs already do cycle in and out before that time. I think it's not so much the individual people and the individual faces so much as the, the parties and the institutions, yeah, mm-hmm. that I'm have that, that I don't think continuity. it's a bad idea. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad idea at all, though, in principle, in terms of should power be concentrated, be always held by the same person over and over? Is that good for democracy? Some people would say, yeah, if they're voted in, sure. If they're good at it, right? Yeah. So I think it's like a really fraught issue, actually, because I can see both sides. Because obviously in New Zealand, unlike in America, presidents are only allowed to serve for two terms. That's it. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, we don't have that in New Zealand. Labor could, in theory, this is never going to happen in practice, but they could, (laughs) in theory, be in government five times in a row. Because we don't have a cap on anything like that. It does, yeah, it is interesting that we don't. It's a feature of our system, but again, probably it's different. I've given an extreme example because obviously the president holds <laughs> a lot more power in terms of power in an individual's hand. But yeah, I think that's yeah a key distinction. I don't think there's a good answer there. <laughs> there's probably many very small answers rather than one big one. I think that's right, and I think that's the case when it comes to our democracy. We just need to chip away at it, but for sure right now, with the way that the public are feeling, with the dissatisfaction, and you said it at the start, the fact that people, yeah, are sick of this government, absolutely, you hear it all the time, but they're mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, but I'm not going to vote for National, because their ideas, their manifesto is either, between them and Act, the manifesto is either, oh, let's just bring back all the policies that were in place five years ago. That weren't working for this country, by the way. And we had huge social issues even then. But sure, let's just go back to that because they don't have any other new ideas. <laughs> and that's not good enough for people either. So I think that's why we're seeing this large chunk. I think in the last poll, there was something like 12% of undecided voters. And you can really understand why they don't know yet who they're going to mm. vote for because they're just seeing same old and getting frustrated with that. To be fair, there's not nothing new that the opposition is talking about. They've picked up our policy, for example, on gene editing. And well done, uh, Dr. there ben has Peters. been. Well done, Dr. Ben Peters. And there's been some A talk about. Dr. Ben. Uh, yeah, this is one of our two doctors, Ben. <laughs> there has been some talk as well about stuff like congestion charges, stuff like mixed use zoning. There's there's a handful of pretty good ideas that are coming out there from the opposition. It's not like they're not generating anything, but when you t- look take a look at everything that they have, they've got as a whole, it just doesn't. There's a reason I'm not part of either of the big parties, right? It just doesn't seem for me. Housing's my number one issue, and nothing either of the big parties have put together when you take them as a whole package seems like it's really going to shift the dial on housing. Nibbling so, at the edges. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's the approach in a lot of areas, though. 
And I think that's something why I came to top in the first place was because I was just so sick of the, the – I was a swing no, – I'm sure I've said this publicly. I was quite a swing yeah. voter before I came to top. I probably voted red and blue fairly evenly and got to a point where I realised that wasn't going to change anything because all they were doing was tinkering or dealing with symptoms and band-aids and neither of them were ever really seeming to get to these underlying causes of these social issues and then saw what Top was talking about. I was like, huh, these guys get it. They realise <laughs> you actually need to get down at the structural underlying level if you want to fix stuff. Okay, cool. Maybe I yeah. can work with these guys. And so many of the people I talked to in Top had that exact same reaction. There's a hunger out there for new ideas and for doing things indifferently, but Labour and National are both as in parties of the status quo. They will predominantly, what they will do is keep things more or less the same as they are now. Might be a little bit of change but not as much as you'd like. I can definitely empathise. It's scary doing brand new stuff. It's scary doing stuff that you're not sure if it's going to work or not. I guess the thing, one of the things that drew me to top was that I didn't see that same fear about trying something new. Even if it didn't work, consider it we'll try again. It's not the end of the world. Totally. Um, Totally. And that's the whole thing about searching for ideas and solutions. You need to... If it doesn't try work, try something else. Like you don't just stick to it five years later and hope that it will magically start working if it didn't last time. <laughs> I think that's just so key. And solutions exist. And sometimes you do need to have big, bold ideas if you want to shift the dial. And there are some features of the way that our democracy currently works that actively works against those big ideas getting a say, getting an introduction to Parliament. So shall we talk about the threshold? (laughs) (laughs) The famous threshold. What is the The threshold? threshold. Tell me about this threshold, Ben. So for your party vote, if if a party does not reach 5% of the votes that were cast, if it gets less than that, then all of those votes are basically discounted in deciding which parties get assigned which seats in parliament if you don't reach that five percent threshold all of those votes get just thrown away nothing happens to them you don't get representation unless that party also does win an electorate seat which has been used for a number of parties before that threshold is we would say and the electoral commission would say and lots of independent commentators would say too high in new zealand to the point where it's preventing new parties and new ideas from being introduced into Parliament. Certainly there has been no party that has formed from outside of Parliament and reached that 5% threshold, which suggests that it's just set at too high a rate. And it affects a lot of people too, because there were, in the last election, 225,000 New Zealanders cast a vote for one of these parties that wasn't represented because their votes got thrown out. Which is that is 8%. a lot of people. That w- it was 225,000 New Zealanders yeah. cast a vote and got told, nah, sorry, get out. Doesn't count. Which is wild. Take, for example, Top's vote last time. If mm-hmm. we were allowed to take our seats for those for that vote, there would have been two mm. seats in Parliament. Yeah. So people say, oh, you got nothing. Yeah, but if we had a different system, we would have had two seats. David Seymour, yes, that's years, a very good point. David Seymour used to only have his one seat because he only got his Epsom seat. And he would sit mm. in his one seat, whereas yes. we would have had two. <laughs> or top in 2017 would have had four. Three or four, yeah. Three or four, yeah, depending. It just, to me, I'm a huge fan of just no threshold because in my mind, democracy requires 
to the extent possible, every vote to count. For every vote to count, if you're if you vote, if enough people votes for a party to get a seat, let them go and sit in that seat because they've won it. In the same way that if you win your electorate seat, for you're an independent, you might not even have, be involved connected to any party, but you're the person who most people in your community picked. You go and have your seat. People are fine with that. Just one person, one seat. <laughs> so why is it different for a party? <laughs> Oh, but Shai, what if 120,000 New Zealanders vote for someone who's really crazy? Then what, Shai? And that is democracy, and we have to respect <laughs> it. That's the like, answer that I honestly, have as well. Honestly, and people have said that to me as well. They're like, oh, but I don't agree with this team. Their views are abhorrent. Oftentimes, I agree, yeah. To me, personally, yeah, they have abhorrent views. But you know what? They also have a right to have those views. And I'm going to fight for their democratic right to vote for that party who I fundamentally disagree with. But if that's who they believe in, let them, let them. <laughs> yeah, this gets to what you were saying at the beginning, Alex. Democracy is not some kind of, I don't know, sterile attempt to find the best decisions to make in a vacuum. Democracy is a very messy attempt to try and find a set of rules that we can all grudgingly agree on and we can all <laughs> make peace with, right? And that involves having to deal with views that are quite different from your own because you have to get along with these people at some level. And peacefully. And yes. not and we don't actually have to demonize everyone who we disagree with. And I found this my on a personal level, these are just people who believe in what they believe in. They have a right to express their views. That's what a democracy should support at all times. Let them express their views, let them see if anyone else agrees with them. And give them the platform to do that. Give them the same platform as anyone else because if someone agrees with them, cool. In the same way, if people like tops ideas, great. And so I just think it's this world where we have to all coexist. Like, again, Alex, I like what you said at the start. It's a funny example. This is the, the, the set of rules that we create so we just stop murdering each other to deal with problems. <laughs> and it's a funny analogy, but it's, like, fair because, again, we go to these on a human level. We're going to debates. You go to the, a number of debates with the same people. You've got to be polite. Be polite. Say hi. Nice to meet you. Have a quick chat. You don't have to just be awful to people who you don't agree with. And therefore, we have to have we have to be able to have conversations. We have to have difficult conversations. And we have to be able to work together, even if we disagree. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the, the constant balances that anybody who wants to be in politics has to be able to manage. You have to be able to say why that person over there, their idea, it's horrible. Ignore it. Don't do it. Vote for my idea. My idea is way better. It's perfect, completely infallible. That might get you into Parliament. Governing's a lot harder because once you're in Parliament, they might be too. And all of those things that you said about them that were mean and nasty, they're going to do their best to see that your ideas don't go through, even if you did happen to win. Right? <laughs> they're going to hold you to account in debate. They're going to talk to you at select committees. They're going to review that legislation that you're working on. And if you make yourself an enemy of everybody who you talked to in the process of getting to parliament, again, it's MMP. You're going to find yourself with very few friends. That's right. It's just, and what are you achieving in doing that as well? Yeah. How are you, if you're, if the goal of democracy is to bring people together to make collective decisions that are overall for the general good, if you can't bring those people together in parliament, how the hell are you going to do that outside of parliament? That's what gets us a whole bunch of, 
social unrest, a whole bunch of issues because people become demonized. They feel like they can't contribute in that system. They form their own system. Hmm. And there, therein lies some of the huge issues that lead to a breakdown in social cohesion, which is hmm. what democracy needs to structure itself to avoid and to ameliorate all those types of issues. I think what's frustrating about the threshold, and I'm so glad you brought it up, Ben, is that it's 2023 now. From at least as early as 2012, the Electoral Commission was telling the government of the day, change right. the threshold, reduce it. I mean, at that time, they said maybe it could get down to three, but at least start with getting it down to 4%. And with 4%, you that's the starting point of, say, five MPs. Isn't yeah. that wild when you put it that way? You can only get through the door if you've got a team of five. You can't get through the door if you're only a team of two or a team of three. You can only walk through those doors once you're a team of five or six. That's stupid to me. Yeah. You are just excluding way too many people's votes. Yeah, but surely, Shai, the government of the day is reasonable and will take these recommendations from the from the Electoral Commission seriously and act upon them. Surely they would do that. I mean, they must just be so busy because it's only been 11 years. <laughs> But in all seriousness, it's, why have Why would they legislate to diminish the their power? Yeah. Why would they diminish their power? Mm. Why would they improve electoral laws when they are the ones enjoying the incumbent advantage? Why would they change the threshold to increase representation, which therefore inevitably means their representation shrinks? They're never going to do that. Mm. If politics is all about a better way of not hitting each other with sticks... Why am I going to let somebody in with more sticks than me? Why am I going to give other people the opportunity to pick up those sticks, right? It's human nature that we want to preserve our advantages. But it comes back to the social cohesion that you talked about before. How can we preserve the advantages of good ideas? How can we preserve the advantages of diverse, wacky, mainstream views? while at the same time balancing this need to not act in your own self-interest all of the time? I, just, I don't know. Yeah, We're asking I the big questions here in New yeah. Zealand's next top yeah. podcast. <laughs> and hopefully some solutions to help people think a little more about these issues. Um, yeah. So I hope this so probably we definitely a good support way. the lowering of the threshold as a party, right? Absolutely. And in fact, calling for a referendum, and I think we, we called for a referendum not too many weeks ago, saying, let's put it to the people then. If politicians aren't going to do it, which inevitably they won't because they haven't, let's get it in a referendum and let the people decide what a reasonable threshold is. We know it needs to be lower. There's no question. The Electoral Commission, the Independent Review has said it should be three and a half. So that's the latest one of 2023. Yep. Another review to be ignored by politicians unless people <laughs> stand up and say, you know what, I want to be represented better. I want my neighbour to be represented and I want everyone in my community to be represented. And the only way to do that is to lower the threshold and get more ideas in there. Some people sometimes float the idea of having a, a ranked preference voting for party for your party vote as an alternative for lowering the threshold. Do you have any thoughts around that? I'm definitely not opposed to it in theory and even something that I think we could, should even be looking at for maybe electorates. I think preferential voting is a, it can be a really effective way of democracy, but I still think nothing beats actually just ensuring <laughs> that people's first pick have the best chance of getting in the door. It, do, right. it doesn't force, 
the only risk I think with preferential voting is that you're forcing people to rank parties that maybe they don't even, I mean, they might stop after one anyway, but if they keep ranking, forces them to maybe pick like a party that they would never actually want to vote for, and in which case it's maybe giving extra votes to parties that they don't actually want to support. So I think it's, I think there's a lot of support out there for preferential voting, but I do think it does have some issues. I don't think it's necessarily like the perfect alternative. People often complain about the complexity of ranked choice uh, voting, and I don't. I've never quite understood. I mean, we have it for local council the complexity, elections. like the complexity argument there, because you're basically just saying, all right, who's your first choice? All right, and if they don't get in, who's your second choice? And that's all you're saying. I think that's a I don't very easy thing to explain argument. to people. Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't buy that. And like I yeah. said, we have it in a bunch of our local councils um, and mm. have had for a long time without issue. But yeah, I just guess my concern would be around whether it ends up in outcomes that actually do align with people's true preference. I think it should be right if you just say, who's your first choice, who's your second choice, and just leave it that. Stop there. Don't keep going. Yeah, you pretty much get 90% yeah. of the benefit of ranked host voting out of I that, mean, right? Because I... then you can put... A, maybe a risky choice is your first one and then you can put a safe choice as your second one. Well, you need. I don't know about you being after the last election, but I had countless people contact me after the 2020 election saying, hey, I loved top, loved your policies. I'm sorry I didn't vote for you. I just thought you wouldn't get in, so I didn't vote for you. <laughs> yes, I've seen and that I a few times. Oh, I cannot tell you how many times that happened. And I'm like, oh, thanks for your support. If only you turned it into a vote, maybe we would have had a higher <laughs> outcome. But, you know, I think... I mean, but we make it hard fine. for people, don't we, with the electoral system that we've got, with the threshold, with the threat, actually, of saying, yeah. hey, if you vote for these small parties, we're going to throw away your vote. Yeah. And when you say and it I like think... that, it sounds like a horrible thing to, to hold over people, doesn't it? Exactly. And I think... In those instances, preferential voting makes a ton of sense because then you've got people mm. going, okay, look, my favourite is top. I'm going to vote for them. They might not get in, but I'm cool because I'm now going to add my second vote here. My second preference is this team. So that's cool. I know that my preferences are still going to be met right. one way or another. Or in security. that case, it may be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think at the end of the day, I just always come back to more representation has got to be better. The more people represented, the better. And we have to have a system that does that. Mm. I think that <laughs> probably, I think we've probably gone over our time slot, guys, but I genuinely could talk democracy issues all day long because it, as I said at the start, I mean, it, it, it underlies everything that we do. Political decisions affect everything, every aspect of our lives. And how we engage with each other and the relationships we have and social cohesion, it all really comes back to how we structure our political system and political institutions. Um, thanks for getting out with me, guys. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Shai. <laughs> Anytime. So nice to see you both. All right, and I hope everyone keeps listening to this series and enjoy some fresh ideas. Definitely. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to New Zealand's Next Top Podcast. Please subscribe and share it if you know someone who'd be interested. To find out more about Top, our policies and our candidates, go to www.top.org.nz.